This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. of Middle Earth to the shores of the Undying Lands and all of the legends and adventures in between. This is Casterly Talk, a special edition and audio-only version. Podcasting is always where my heart is. I'm Ken Napsok, and it's just me right now. Bonus content, kind of like the DVD extras. If you listen to our review of uh, episodes one and two of Rings of Power, review and discussion, really we more discuss things around here than review them checked out the video, especially if you checked out the video, you will notice that we had some technical problems. And when I say we, I mean me. It's not the royal we. It's me, Ken Napsok. I had a computer issue. You know when your MacBook, your shiny new MacBook suddenly becomes just a hot burning brick of of frustration? That's kind of what's going on. Uh, Fortunate to have uh, enough equipment around to record, get things going. Don't cry for me, but just it wasn't working. We had to record live to tape. We often love recording live to tape around here because I'm a broadcaster at heart, an old radio man. But also we had some time constraints for me, Alden and Rachel cushing Levine, and we had to get the episode done right then and there. So I dropped out. I went to the Undying Lands, and Alden and Rachel did just a wonderful job discussing the episode, looking a little deeper into the episode. But also I want to shout out uh, Rachel for coming on and just... She's wearing her Lord of the Rings love and heart on her sleeve and saying, hey, here's some things I have questions about. Here's some things I'm still kind of working through as a longtime fan, someone that these words of Tolkien and the movies and everything around it just means so much to her and her family. And that means you're going to have some bigger questions than maybe someone like I do, who just loves kind of the emotions and the spirit of this world and is pulled in in a different way. Those are ways that Rachel's also pulled in as well. This is clearly an inspirational uh, property to her. Alden as well. But I really love the conversation both of them have. Uh, We love diving into the themes here, which sometimes means we leave the review thoughts on the floor. But I thought Rachel did a great job coming in here and giving some valuable insight and also representing probably a large portion of the viewers for the first two episodes of Rings of Power who approached it in different ways. Some of them with their arms folded, like, all right, you got to win me over. And some like Rachel, I think, open and so ready to just love this, but also, all right, cool, cool. This is different. This is something I hold dear, and this is a different take on it or a different look at it. And also there's this legality issue, which is actually fascinating. I've been reading more and more about just what they can and cannot say, uh, what they might not be able to say on screen, but hey, there's things they can list maybe in the cast. I don't know. It's all kind of interesting. I'm sure we'll get some of the information as time goes on, but for right now we have this uh, wonderful series, a wonderful start in, and I just want to give my thoughts. Not that I think the world needs them, but I also I had some notes. I had some things I wanted to say about the two episodes. And then my computer didn't let me. So bear with me while I go into this. And then we'll take a quick break on the other side. I got some calls from the Anchor app I want to get to as well. Uh, episode one, A Shadow of the Past. Episode two, Adrift. Loved these episodes. I got to tell you, I loved them and I was ready to love them. But I think I loved them more, more than I thought I would. 
this is, uh, as I said on the on the uh, YouTube side, on the review side, I, I'm not never here. You're never going to hear me seriously compare House of the Dragon, Rings of Power in a way that pits them against each other. Uh, as I said on the show, I'll reiterate it here. It, it, this, is, this is a breakfast menu. You have pancakes, French toast, waffles, omelets, a lot of options. And you can't compare pancakes to omelets. Let's just put that all aside and let's just enjoy breakfast. However, that said, it's interesting to me that there was a lot of people feeling more dubious about what this show was going to do. And even casual fans, the look, the trailers, the marketing, there might have been some issues. Maybe things didn't get off the right foot. There's also this uh, thing going on that's pretty horrendous. Whether it's just some, as, as, as simple, I put quotations around simple, of, of review bombing. There is uh, an absolute movement by people who uh, just want to attack this show. Some of it based on their uh, fear of diversity, uh, racist tendencies. And a, a lot of people hide behind the lore, hide that stuff behind the lore. Now, hear me out. That's not a general, that's, or that is a general sweeping statement. I'm not specifically saying that everyone who's a Tolkien lore fan um, uses that to hide racism. Please don't misunderstand me. But you're seeing it on a very aggressive scale. Amazon's having to deal with some very aggressive tactics. And some of it, all those social issues aside and social changes aside, there's other people who just don't want their show to exist. And there's this campaign to pirate it, to, to, to kind of bomb the ratings and, and not just the reviews, but the numbers. It's a weird time out there. And I think some of that might have gotten even in my head of just like, I don't know, $750 million for the entire season. I know that's not for one uh, for entire series. Now, I know that's not for one season, but... I don't know. I don't know. How can, you know, how can they do this? And here I am, this Game of Thrones fan, and and you can see how they can do it. You can see how you can make it look good and epic. I I still love season eight of Game of Thrones for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was I just remember watching the Long Night episode on my TV at home and going, I grew up on Airwolf and Fall Guy and Dukes of Hazzard and just bad sitcoms, classic sitcoms too, but bad TV, right? Where it was TV, it was always smaller. It always looked smaller, always looked a little more cheesy. And that even kind of went into the 90s. And the premium television started to emerge. And Game of Thrones is one of the properties that blows that uh, into a a higher uh, stratosphere. And I just was worried. I think I was worried. How how can they make this? I mean, forget the books, which is hard to do. I know Tolkien fans. Forget the books. Look at what Jackson did. And I'm including The Hobbit in that. Uh, you know, I, I rank the Hobbit films lower than lower than the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah, but I've started to enjoy the Hobbit films a lot more than I did when they were released because it's just this giant, epic, beautiful world. This show had to tap into that. We've been discussing that. And I think the look, the feel, the vibes, that's what more than anything. I wasn't surprised by the themes and the lessons and the things that were there and the fun theories. Who is the stranger? A blue wizard. Tom Bombadil, which is something Rachel and Alden are kind of putting some chips on. Is it Gandalf the uh, the Young? Uh, that's a phrase title I'm making up there, of course. There's a lot of wonderful theories. So all that, I'm not surprised by any of them. But I think I was pleasantly surprised that, no, yeah, this looks and feels like the world that I love walking around in slowly. With hobbits, and Boromir and Aragorn, and uh, Legolas and Gimli and the, and the whole crew. This feels like that world. Even though legally it might not be, or legally this can't connect, but this can, and they can't say this, and they can't say that. And the show might be blocked some ways, but might be wide open in other ways. A lot of show-only characters here that I'm already fans of, that I'm already into their journeys. 
So the look, the feel, it hit those notes. Love the opening sequence uh, revealed in the second episode, which, by the way, House of Dragon and Rings of Power, wait to the second episode now. And I've heard them say, well, that's what you, know, that's what you do with pilots. You don't really do the opening. I'm like, no, 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 no. You get that, get that opening sequence out there. Just jam it into my, my eyes and my ear hole. Holes, ear holes. I have two, I have two. I'm, let me check. Yeah, I have two. Anyways, I want to discuss a little bit about what I love about these episodes. They're big themes, and that's not a surprise. This is what I want something from the Lord of the Rings world to do. This is similar to Star Wars for me. Show me what the world can be. Yes, take a look at what is there. Take a look at what is there inside of all of us. But what can this world be if we all make some bigger choices and some better choices and find out who we are and the battle of good versus evil, both on a large, epic scale inside of us on a day-to-day basis, choice by choice. And this this series so far, two episodes, two episodes in, has done a wonderful job of that. Episode one, I think I started to say this before I finally had to just bow out of the uh, YouTube recording and, 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 and the episode reviews with uh, Rachel and Alden. Episode one just really drove home. This is a season of change. A season of change is upon you. And what do you bring with you on those changes? What parts of the past do you let go? And episode two is uh, literally uh, the characters adrift in a sea of change, finding your place in a new world and finding yourself in that. I was particularly moved by these ideas put forth of of change and who you are after and and who you are without what defines you. Uh, Tolkien seems to, as, as, a, as a World War I veteran, seems to always go to what is this giant thing that changes you and the, and, and the culture uh, and the people around you and how do you all move forward? And, of course, as we had said in some of the previous shows, getting ready for Rings of Power, you got World War I behind Tolkien and you have World War II ahead of him in a lot of ways when he started doing a lot of the writings and, of course, uh, the books come out when the 50s and beyond, blah, blah, blah. You know the timeline there. But it's just something that always seems to come up in his works. And that's why I love a lot of the Return of the King stuff. Movie version, of course. The the many endings that some people still make fun of. Because you still have, you get to deal with a, a little bit of what happens after this. When you're changed forever. What do you bring with you? What do you leave behind? And this idea that goes through all the characters. Galadriel at the forefront right now of a singular vision, a traumatic incident that affected both her people and her specifically with her her brother Finrod. The great conversation with Elrond of of putting down your sword. Now, initially, you know, and this is and this is one of the things that Lord of the Rings um, in general, uh, it's one of those similar to Star Wars. They don't they don't deal a lot in the shades of gray. It's not about that, but they seep in. Because it's, again, about what you do and the choices and the lessons learned from it. And I thought this was one of, uh, it's not a complicated shade of gray, but this con- these conversations with Elrond and, and Galadriel, who, who, you know, they know each other so well. They have an affinity for each other, and, and they do know each other. We're already seeing Elrond is uh, a little bit uh, changed. She, he's more political, according to Galadriel, and 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 she might end up that there herself. That's what Rachel was talking about. This this show very well could track that journey. This version of Galadriel is this warrior, this leader, this um, person of action, and not necessarily the one same person, but different kind of approach. Of course, later on in the movies, again, 
legally. Is it the same? No, but spiritually it is. And I do believe this series is going to start to track that because of that one simple moment of, of Galadriel saying, you know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I put down the sword. Who, who am I without all this? Who am I without all of this? This is all who all I was, this mission, this is this vengeance, if you will. I, I think it's more of an obsession, a just obsession. Everyone wants me to lay this down. I don't feel that's right. And I think we'll see if that conviction leads to anything. Again, not try not to factor in story points and, and timeline things and events we we know happens, but just trying to take this as a episode by episode journey. Will her pursuit be a just one? And will she be found to be right? Because there's a lot of things going on. Gilgalad's kind of this, uh, you know, uh, I, I say he's kind of forcing change. It's days of peace. Are you sure about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they found something up at this castle here. Ice troll uh, and, and a lot more. Something else going on up there. Nah, we're good. Why don't you all go to the Undying Lands? You've earned it. And these soldiers get to go in where they were running away from the presence of evil at the beginning of the episode, episode one. Uh, and so this is a, a theme that has no clear answer right now because we're just beginning this journey. Now, again, Galadriel's cause is just. Evil exists and we can't be complacent. A lot of complacency in this. Arondir. Arondir? Arondir? We'll, we'll learn to say them week to week. Uh, he's a soldier first, at least right now when we meet him. He loves somebody he can't in, in Bronwyn. But I thought it was uh, pretty uh, telling when his commander is asking him, who were you before the war? Revion asks, who were you before the war? I was this, I was a farmer. All right, cool, you can go back to being that. Can you? Can you? Who am I without this title of soldier? And who, I, who was I before? You, it's hard. Can't go home again, right? You got to move forward. What do you take with you? And it seems as though the sense of justice Arondir has as a soldier will be traveling with him, motivated maybe on a smaller scale, motivated motivated by uh, love or relationship versus uh, just uh, connecting to some global cause, so to speak. Both are valuable. I was moved by that. And that conversation was great. Perhaps um, one of the best conversations in the first two episodes between Arondir and uh, Revian. Uh, this uh, conversation about the people of Southlands, they have blood of those that stood with Morgoth and can't change that. It's who they are. Are we who we are? Change is big in these kind of stories. These heroes' journeys, these mythic quests, all these uh, type of high fantasy and, and modern myths. You need to go through change, and often it is evil who is representing the idea of not changing. And it is those that fell, those that are fearful, that represent the idea of not changing. Nori is hearing a call. Love the Harfoots. Really, uh, really did enjoy the Harfoots. And I know there was some uh, consternation around uh, them being in there. I, yeah, I'm not tracking that stuff, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. And, I, and I, as I said on the uh, YouTube podcast review uh, before I ducked out, like, I really respect the, the, the Tolkien lore fans. But I also think there is a, um unnecessary adherence to the words of Tolkien as if it's God's word. <laughs> and it can form its own, own kind of gatekeeping. Not just to those who are casual fans. Oh, I love the Jackson movies. Let me check the series out. I love watching this kind of stuff. Lore 
adhering to law in a way that's aggressive or doesn't, you know, accept change of any kind. That, that could be gatekeeping t- towards uh, those fans. I really do think it would be gatekeeping towards yourself. That's why, again, I loved hearing what Rachel was saying. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am here to be open to what this show is going to tell me. I'm here to be open to this, this version, this adaptation. And in many places, it's not even an adaptation. It's completely original because they're working on a few, a scant few pages uh, on what they got. But that doesn't mean you can't have reservations. Doesn't mean you can't leave all of it behind, right? It seems as though these first two episodes are almost, almost addressing all sorts of fans, of course, but this specific section of the fandom. Now, I don't think they sat in a writer's room and they say, hey, let's make the first two episodes about the, the Tolkien lore heads that might be uh, having a pro- problem with the show. I, I don't think that's the case. But it comes off as that and it works as that. Not unlike the Star Wars sequel trilogy, especially 7 and 8. I love 9. If anyone's curious who doesn't know my work from Force Center, I think they all work together beautifully. They're connected in so many wonderful ways. But the dawn of the sequel era was about what happens when the legends and the stories and the actions of the generations that came before us are so large that they are over us forever. And how do we, the next generation, react to that? And how does the older generation who lived all that, how do they interact with who they were, what people expect them to be? What do we do with all that? Generational change is at the core of the sequel trilogy era. Last Jedi breaks all that down to say, what do these stories mean to us and do they have value and should we believe them? And yes, we confirm that they do. I think these first two episodes, I really think they are going, hey, here's what you knew, here's what you are, but this is a brand new path, but it's somewhat familiar and can you find yourself in it? Again, Jennifer Hutchinson does a great job with episode two as a writer. I uh, really love that episode. She is uh, a talent, without a doubt. Working on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, among many other things. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, great job with episode one, I thought. But I thought episode two was a little bit more what I think we're going to be getting. Because that's what pilot episodes are supposed to do. Pieces on the board, set the tone, set the vibes. Pilots are hard. Pilots are hard to put out, hard to make right. So episode two, I think Jennifer Hutchinson did such a great job. So again, I don't think she set out, all right, uh, Gladriel is adrift in the uh, sea and, and this is a, representing us as fans trying to find ourselves. I, I just think it works that way. I was really moved by that, really moved by that concept. She makes this bold decision. I don't know who I am without this sword, but I know that I, I'm going to find out who I am going forward with it. And I'm going to make this, I'm going to jump out the ship here. And I love, love everything about that. I started talking about Nori and I got distracted, but I, I love the Nori stuff. Hearing a call, wanting to change a place in the larger story. She feels it. She knows it. Uh, the Harfoots are really great with community. Safety first. But they also don't leave the trail. They don't break tradition. There's safety in that. I think they need safety in that. They rep, Harfoots, to me, represent right now community strong aspect of community, which a lot of these series and myths need and have. But I thought it was really interesting that Nori was brushing up against that, fighting that a little bit. Yeah, we don't leave the trail. They don't want me to even go get berries at a farm. It's dangerous, yes. 
but it can be constrictive. And this isn't about berries now. There's something that has happened that I feel I need to be involved with, this stranger that has fallen. Every character in this land, basically, including the Ents, right? Look up and see this, this uh, comet fallen to Middle Earth here. This asteroid hit. Yet it is a Harfoot. A simple, overlooked, often hidden Harfoot. Nori and Poppy. Love Poppy who is uh, now faced with this big call of destiny. So can I take with me what I am, a Harfoot who believes in community, connection, protecting our culture, being true to our culture? Can I take that with me as I move outside of those bounds and boundaries? Love that theme there. Love that theme. I also really love... The first two episodes doing a great job showing the many cultures of this land. And in the histories of this world, we have a lot of great examples of cultures working together. The war of the last alliance of elves and men. It's a pretty powerful one. Dwarves at times here helping. Dwarves at other times not helping. And then you jump ahead to what we kind of got going on in the fellowship days, again, I know, not legally connected, but go with me. What happens? We have everyone spread apart. The traumas of the land and uh, the war, Sauron, all that stuff has split everyone apart. A lot of finger pointing. Elves and dwarves don't get along. Men, kind of pompous, yet also they're the ones you can blame for a lot. The elves, even Elrond kind of, has had it with them by this time. We're ready to pack up and leave. Dwarves are buried uh, deep in their minds and they're not even there anymore, some of them. And the fellowship is about all the cultures and people coming together. And the least of us carrying the biggest burden in that series, The Hobbits. So to go back and see this land where cultures and individual cultures are very important and they all have... Their cultures, their things that, who they are, what they do, their traditions. They know the lands they are on or the lands they move through. And there's no need to tear any of that down. And there's no, you don't want another culture coming in and tearing it down for them. You got to work together. Cultural exchange, right? Not appropriation exchange. But at the same time, you're starting to see Especially when Celebrimbor shows up. Oh, I've already, I, you know, sometimes you might know what's going to happen. Some of the characters or things they do. So, you know, predisposed maybe to not trust them or not like them. But I, I thought, uh, great job. Charles Edwards, uh believes his name. Just right amount of, uh, he's a good guy, right? But yeah, yeah, a little smug. But right, right, right about the time he shows up, you start to see this idea. You get the feeling that the cultures have isolated themselves already. In the Southlands, their connections to uh, Morgoth and standing with evil and who they are and the Harfoots over here and don't trust them or overlook them. Some people probably don't even believe they exist or know they exist. The dwarves down below, you know, it's, it's Celebrimbor who's like, ah, you know, you, when Elrond's kind of says, hey, we can go, so we can go, I have some friends, old Prince Durin the Fourth. We can go, uh, we can go into the mines and maybe they can help us. Okay, how far, says Celebrimbor, how far? 
Do you want to seek help from these outside cultures? Do, you know, do we need to? Back on the sea, Galadriel. Saved by the uh, crew of, uh, of people surviving the ship there, surviving the worm attack. Um, saved at first, but then rejected, right? Because she's an elf. They see those ears. When that uh, worm shows up, they push her off. You see in these cultures isolate. You're seeing uh, the people of Southlands maybe being a little justifiably upset that y- y- you're just assuming our allegiances. But most of them maybe do still have that. Evil, uh, as uh, I think uh, Rachel and Alden did a great job. But by the way, I may be repeating some of the themes they discussed. Apologize. They discussed the orcs literally coming up, evil coming up through the ground. And a lot of people uh, not knowing how to deal with that. I'm uh, interested to track that as this series goes on. These cultures that need to work together but might be separating more and more. Does that affect the land? And is there a lesson to be found in that? Love that all there. Love the opening, I'll say. Final big thought here. Love the opening, Finrod, uh, Galadriel, the ship, the rock, and the description of the, the difference between the two. The rock only focuses on the darkness down below. Galadriel has a fair question. Well, the darkness sometimes seems all around. Uh, but how do you deal with it? Uh, love the lesson. Great beginning for this series that is in many ways about good versus evil. How we know it, why we fight it, why we can't be complacent, but also the good versus evil, the choices inside of us as we begin these great journeys. Moved by a lot of it. Music was wonderful. Bear McCreary, Howard Shore combining to put up some great vibes. Intrigued by what's coming. Can't wait to get to Numenor. Halbrand. New character, right? Aaron, Aaron Deer, or Aaron Deer. Aaron, we'll call him it now. Aaron Deer. <laughs> Bronwyn. New characters, because they have to have these new characters. I'm excited to see where they go. I really love these episodes. I uh, can understand some of the uh, criticisms, um, complaints. Saw some that it was uh, these first two episodes were a little slow. I understand that. I think this series, more than many other series, moves at its own pace. This is the series known for everyone just kind of walking everywhere, right? That's not what the story is. The story is in what the scenes are saying, but the characters on the screen and how it connects to our hearts. That's what we want out of this series. So I thought these two episodes were an absolute home run. Absolute home run. Can't wait to dive in more. Can't wait to um, experience the joy, the beauty, the wonder that these episodes have put out there already. So good job. Good job, team. The Rings of Power team was just sitting around there. Like, what does Knapsack said? He says, good job, team. All righty. <laughs> Loved it. We're going to take a quick break here. And I got some calls uh, from the Anchor app. Stick around. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Got some calls to get to here. Uh, and this is what I love. I love uh, getting back to hearing your voices and some old favorites starting to pop back in, which is going to happen. Uh, Cashly Talk's been going strong since 2017, but after season eight, yeah, uh, this was uh, not on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but here it is. We got uh, you all checking back in, and I love it. And Tamor's calling in. He's got a question about House of the Dragon. Let's hear it. Hey Ken, Alden, and Castle Talk listeners, this is Taymor of House Bahuda. It's been love to sleep. It's been a while since I have listened to any podcast and thought I'd jump back in by listening to Castle Talk after watching Hot the Episode 1 multiple times. I'm very happy that Castle Talk is still going strong and very happy with all the content you and Alden have been putting out for House of the Dragon, especially the explainer videos. I have two questions in regards to Allison Hightower, as I think the Hightower strategically placed her with Rhaenyra when they were young. Uh, we hear in the trailer Allison saying that if Rhaenyra comes into power, she can cut off any challenge to her succession. And we also hear her say, our hearts were number one. That makes me think, were they ever really friends to begin with? Uh, I would love to hear both of your thoughts on this. We see in the final trailer Rainey's asking Alicent, have you ever imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? So my second question is, has she imagined herself on the Iron Throne? If so, does she want the throne for herself? So when she has that power, she no longer has to do the Hightower's bidding? Or... Is she that loyal to her house that she wants the throne so that her family can pretty much control the realm? Uh, love to hear both of your thoughts on this and keep up the great work. Tamor, check it back in. Love Tamor. Love House Bahuda. Yes, absolutely. Good to have you here. Questions about Allison Hightower over in House of the Dragon. And we'll see. We'll see how the show puts it out there. We did do the explainer video on Alicent, and thank you for shouting that out, Taymor. I put that one together, and what we try to do with those explainers is just say, hey, here's who this character is. If you're not familiar, here's some history about him. But also, here's what they could represent in the show. And in digging into that a little bit more, digging into what Emily Carey said, uh, what they said about the character, also Olivia Cook, what she said about the character. They're both playing, of, of course. And and you get the, we hear now, hey, they didn't really exchange notes. The actors just went and did what they were going to do with the characters at these times in their lives, um, which is great. I actually really love that. And it's up to the directors and writers to connect it all. I, I really do believe one of the things about Alicent and Rhaenyra is I do believe they were connected, that maybe – they weren't allowed to be as connected as they want. And yeah, there's some shipping going on there. I've seen that conversation that in a perfect world, maybe they would have just been in love with each other. They would have been the two queens that ruled the world. And that would have been great. But society wasn't going to let them do that. Society wasn't going to let these two women uh, make uh, too many of their own choices. And that's very much what this series is saying. Two episodes in, 
This is a show that is here to indict uh, a patriarchal system in this land and maybe make us look at ours just a little closer. I really believe that. And I believe the creators, when they say that, there's been some cynicism around that as well. Does not mean that everything's going to be perfect or they get a free pass. Um, the entire writing staff, uh, men, women, and, and everyone on it, the writing and producing team. But I think this is what the show is saying, this stuff. As I said before, it's not just subtext, it's the text. And I think a lot of maybe what even Tamor's asking about their relationship in the past, and we have seen that in the trailer. Oh, our hearts, our hearts were never really as one. As I always say, don't necessarily take anything characters say as facts, right? I, I really don't think that. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think they were as close as they seemed and perhaps wanted to be even closer. I'm not necessarily saying it even has to be romantic, but there could have been even more there. But there was already a dividing line, Targaryen, Hightower, uh, before the politics really started to come together. But the connection might have been real, but maybe now they're thought or they are taught, I should say, not thought, but taught to believe that, no, you, no, 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 you weren't as connected. You're against each other. You must be pitted against each other, and you're fighting for the same things. Not working together, and you never really were together. You're different. You were never connected. Could be that. Or maybe it's true. Maybe one of them was lying. But that's how I take that. And to what Allison might end up wanting to do and, and, and the stuff that we've, again, going to some of the trailer stuff, so we're jumping ahead in the show. What do you want, especially when Allison gets older? What do you want? We see she doesn't get to do a lot of what she wants right now. And as I have said so far, the show's put this idea and, and even the horrific end, and it's an absolute horrific end, an absolutely horrific end for Emma Targaryen. That stands as a signpost for these two young women of this is what this land views. I'm not talking about how they could have shot it or anything. Let's not get into that discussion. Just what is the scene? What is the episode saying? Here's what your future could look like and, in fact, probably does look like. And how do you react to that? Do you find your way in this system? And you're like Allison. You're picking it in your fingers and your thumb until they're bleeding. And you swallow everything like an emotional hand grenade. Or you like Renera and you want to push the boundaries and you want to find your way out of that. And I'm not saying one, one of the ways completely right and one way is completely wrong. I'm just saying this is what this series really will be about to me. The core is these two women. Not just the Iron Throne, not just what the land will let women do in this time, but how they will react to it and what that might mean for us. As I always say, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, now House of the Dragon are about what actually is. If Rings of Power and Star Wars are about what could be, this show looks at what is, and hopefully we can find ourselves in that and maybe change and maybe move forward differently. And it's dark and it's tragic and it's brutal and it's violent and it's not for everyone. And it's not necessarily intended for you. Who's the you? You might know. This show speaks to those who I think need to hear it. Even the stuff in this episode jumping around, the second episode, the Damon Targaryen stuff. He is protective of Masari. He has feelings for Masari. I believe he's honest in his uh, appraisal and his heart and his love and his connection to Masari. I really think that he is. He just doesn't see that how his actions, his privileged, privileged actions are putting her, a low-born woman of color, in danger in this land. And she's pointing it out. I know you think you mean well by me, and I do believe you feel as though you can and would protect me, but you are putting me in, a, in the way 
of the other men in this land who would put my head on a spike. I do not have your name and your look and your gender. And you do not understand the ways in which you are endangering me by saying, eh, we're going to get married and I'm going to have a kid. You just, you just put me in a place of danger and you brought back fear into my life. I think that's a very powerful scene and part of what the show is saying. So taking it back to Allison, what does she want? Does she want the Iron Throne? Does she want to stay loyal to her family? That's what I was looking when I put together the uh, Allison Hightower explainer before the series of Fire and blood is what the series is about, but it might be loyalty and blood. Loyalty to um, her soon-to-be new husband, something that she doesn't necessarily want to do. She has, I think, uh, a warm heart. The character of Alicent in the story, in the in the lore, was very uh, connected with Jaehaerys I, stayed by his bedside, read to him, fed him, took care of him in his old age. He died in front of her. And... Uh, even, you know, in the, in, the, in the Game of Thrones world, that can sound kind of scandalous. I know, just from if you're not familiar with the story, but I, I always took it as just really warm, a real affection, a sweetness in Allison. So that's there, and I think she does have some care for Viserys, but that will now be her husband. And is she loyal to him and the crown, or is she loyal to her family and her father, Otto Hightower? Who loves her? Sure. He does. He does. But he doesn't love her enough to not make her a pawn in his game plan for his family. Where, where will she go? What will she follow? Or will she carve her own way? Will she make decisions for herself? And maybe the decision is my son, Aegon II, deserves to be on the throne. And that's what I want. And that's what my family deserves. And that's what I want for my family. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop picking at my nails. Stop picking at my thumb. Stop self-mutilating myself here. As I swallow the pain, and I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to do it for my family because I want to. Or will she stay within the system and find herself in that system? I'm excited by that. I really love what Emily Carey is doing with the character and cannot wait to see Olivia Cook slide in the role, to see how the changes will play out, and to see what she really wants. We'll get Alden's thoughts on that, or Rachel's, anyone else is on the show, Tamor. I know you asked us as a team, but I wanted to listen to uh, that one here today uh, and take, a, take the question, and I really appreciate you calling in here. One more quick call here from Eric Monroe. Hey, Kenny Cassidy Talk. So the Rogue Prince just aired, and we finally got opening credits, and I got to tell you, it is fine by me that they are using the Game of Thrones music. I absolutely love it. It's the only show, even if I'm watching five episodes in a row, I never skip the credits, so it's perfectly fine by me that House of the Dragon is using it. Um, I really love the episode. Um, of course, I, I always love seeing Dragonstone because in my heart, it will always be Stannis' pad. Yes, Dragonstone is Stannis' pad. Always will be for people like Eric Monroe and myself. We're Stannis Baratheon fans and we you know we can only apologize so 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 long for it i uh, love the opening credits i uh, love seeing them as we talked about it on the review i'm just catching up here with this call from eric but uh love the love the choice of the music i i, I did want a little bit of a different version i'm not gonna uh, deny that I, I wanted a little bit of that version that we were hearing in some of the trailers the little more drums it reminded me of the clone wars animated series the the 2008 series uh with kevin kiner coming in and giving us hey this is a star wars theme but it's different we got drums we got something a little different going on right now, and I kind of wanted that. But then when they they hit they hit us with what the uh, you know the theme, 
I like it. I like it for this property. I like it for this IP as I try to expand it. It just kind of makes sense. And as we said on the show, I'll reiterate it here. <laughs> that tune is absolutely really damn good. Does it slap? I don't think I can say that anymore. I think I'm number one too old, and two, we don't even say that anymore. But the tune is great. Happy with it. As far as the credits themselves, I, I, I love it. But I will admit this. I haven't taken the deep dive into what everything means, the, the histories and, and lore that are in that opening credits. Uh, I've seen some of the stuff, seen some of the reactions. Uh, it's great. Uh, I've just been so busy I haven't taken that deep dive in, but I will. And, uh, you know, I think that's what uh, the Game of Thrones opening credits kind of need to do. They need to set the land, the lay of the land, the, the histories. They need to kind of take you into the time frame. Love also, going back to the Rings of Power, the use of uh, the maps in the show itself. It, it was really helpful. I always say when it comes to the Lord of the Rings world, I know my way around it. I just can't give other people directions. But I'm already starting to uh, connect uh, some of the bits, some of the... Uh, lore uh and, and histories and moments uh just because of the of the show uh, uh i love that what it's uh, what it's doing so anyways there you go there it is there it was there it was my tech worked everything's everything's okay we're gonna be okay friends i'll fix that uh fix the computer problems we'll be uh doing the house of the dragon reviews we will be uh, continuing the rings of power uh rachel cushing uh levine will be joining us andres cabrera uh when he can it's hard to you know if you if you ever want to go produce a podcast or put together a youtube channel and you want to involve a lot of a lot of people scheduling scheduling will be your great evil as well as macbooks all right or any kind of piece of tech that's it don't forget to follow us on twitter at casterly talk or on facebook don't forget if you listen to the podcast side please keep listening to the podcast side that really helps keep the entire brand alive but also slide over to the youtube channel give us a sub over there we are i'll just say we're about 250 subscriptions away from becoming a partnered channel which would be wonderful for the brand as we move forward so many things to talk about even after these two first seasons of rings of power and house of dragon come to a close uh we want to continue to talk about this world and this land and uh we uh, want to do that, and you can help by subscribing to the YouTube channel. Keep listening here on the podcast. Give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Do all those wonderful things to help us. We really appreciate it. You can follow me at CatNapsock. Go to CatNapsock.com for more information on the things I do. More information coming out, but I'll be on a big comedy show at Flappers Comedy Club in downtown Burbank on September 16th. Uh, Jake Lewis and Friends Show. Uh, check that out if you're local. That's it. Thank you for letting me Give my thoughts on the Rings of Power episodes one and two. We'll see you next time here on Casterly Talk.